Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, we talk to my friend Justine Jordan, who's the VP of Marketing at Litmus, an indispensable software for email marketers and designers. In this interview, we talk about how Justine became the face of email marketing and how she got started as a designer and what she's most excited about tackling next. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. While you're at it, head on over to iTunes to subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have a rating, and you'll help others find the show. So without further ado, please welcome Justine Jordan. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to welcome today Justine Jordan. Now, Justine is a very special guest for me because I met Justine when she was in a class that I was teaching at Heron School of Art and Design, we'll just say back in the day. So I've known Justine since she was, uh, you know, so tall. (laughs) And it's awesome to see how far she's progressed professionally and uh, just kind of watching her in the world. So Justine, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you for having me, Josh. And uh, yeah, I I like that back in the day approach to describing when that time period in our lives was. (laughs) Neither one of us wants to talk about how long ago that was. No. (laughs) I think that was actually my first year of, of business also. So I decided maybe I should try this teaching gig at the same time, just in case I didn't have enough work. And then after I I I accepted that, I got slammed. Where did you, what was the foot, like the shoe place? Oh what yeah, um, Finish Line. is. You the, just uh, left Finish Line, yeah. Yeah, the athletic shoe retailer. They're based out of Indianapolis also. Yeah. So tell us a little bit of your um, origin story as a designer. Like how did I come to meet you at Heron? Yeah, wow. Um, we should also talk about that very special project that I flipped out at you on. And you probably got a really inside yes, look. Yes, please do first. tell that story. <laughs> Um, so I was, uh, gosh, my, my road to design, I think I first, I didn't know that design was a thing. I, I was obsessed with fonts and at that time, that's all I knew them as was, was fonts. And I think the designers listening and will understand that any normal person would think I'm crazy. I, I felt very strongly that fonts had a personality um, and I would spend like hours looking at, and I don't even know what free font websites existed back in the day, but I would probably spend hours. Probably not good ones. Yeah, probably not good ones. And they were all free anyway. So, you know, um, but I had these quotations and I remember I was, any, anybody in high school remember when you like created your senior book, it was like the pinnacle of your life up until that point, And it had to be your personality and express exactly who you were. And for me, the best way of doing that was choosing these like famous quotations and then setting them in in the perfect font. And so that was kind of like a personal project. And I was looking at, I knew I was going to go to Purdue, something else that Josh and I have a little bit in common. Um, But I had no idea what I wanted to major in. And I was just browsing the site and found uh, a major called visual communication design And I read it and I was just like, oh my God, I can do fonts as a career. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
and it all just sort of clicked to me. And, you know, I never really looked back. So that was kind of how I discovered that design was even a thing to begin with was, was because of typography. Um, and to this day, I'm still slightly obsessed with it. It's not, it's not a good thing, especially in email because it's so hard to do typography well in email, but yeah, so that was how I, how I kind of figured out what design was. So now, um, fast forward a bit, um, before we get into really what you're doing at Litmus, maybe tell us a little bit about what Litmus is, because I'm sure there are designers, uh, listening who've heard of Litmus or know what that is. And there are probably some that even if you gave the one liner, they'd still be a little bit fuzzy. So maybe give us the more, the more sure. unpacked version of, of what the company does. Sure. Um, so Litmus is probably best known for what we do is we've automated what is usually a really a headache or hair pulling inducing task uh, where we take screenshots of what emails look like in different email programs and mobile apps and that kind of thing. So uh, I think especially if there's any web designers out there listening, um, if you've ever tried to create an email, you'll know that the HTML and the CSS doesn't work so good <laughs> in, in some <laughs> of the in, inboxes out there. Uh, we like to say that you have to code like it's 1999. Which coincidentally was when I learned to code. So, I, uh, so that, that that we're now we're really dating ourselves, Josh. Because I always joke oh, that like it. we were just going to not use the date I, there. I I know, right? I I it's same thing with me. I've always felt like that was an advantage to me being in emails. That's how I learned to code, and I've never learned how to do it the quote unquote right way. So I don't know any better than to code in tables. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I regress. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we, we automate the taking those screenshots um, so that people can see what their emails look like in Outlook and Gmail and an iPhone on Android and wherever else they need to see it, how bad it looks or hopefully how good it looks. We do a bunch of other stuff to use, spam filter testing. Uh, we have a, a web-based editor built just for email. So if you're using Dreamweaver, you can stop doing that. We have some really cool analytics that tell actually where you're opening. Um, and we're building a lot of top secret extra cool stuff, too. So mm. just trying to generally make email better. Awesome. And so, of course, that's for largely for email marketers, not for if you want to send an email to Bob in accounting, you don't need to screen test that. But so as you're sending out things that would have graphics or um, even things related to purchases or receipts, I'm sure you yep. have a lot of application emails as well. Absolutely. Any sort of transactional or commercial email that's going to be sent in, in bulk from a brand where you want it to look good and also to make sure that it renders, you know, functions correctly. You don't want to send an email with a broken link either, which can be pretty detrimental for, you know, if you're trying to sell something and the link doesn't work, then. It's kind of a bad day in email. So tell us about how you went from design school in love with fonts to being uh, what I would say is sort of the face of email marketing today. How, how'd that transpire? Well, I might argue with you about the, the face of email marketing bit, but I can <laughs> at least tell you how I ended up um, at Litmus and, and kind of how I fell in love with email, which is a strange thing, I think, for anyone to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I met you in design school and I was really inspired by the way that you and a few other people that I met in the community in Indianapolis, you were really involved in AIGA, you know, the Professional Association for Design. And I think it probably really started there. They, they so 
deeply emphasized that design was more about making things look nice and it was about solving problems and it was about communicating and it had real business value design did. Mm -hmm. And the intersection of all of those things really kind of fascinated me because I think I discovered early on that I was, because I was in art school, I was surrounded by these crazy creative people that were really truly artistic. And I was the only person that hated drawing. I really hated the art part of making things. And I just felt like I really wasn't all that creative at all. But it was that business side, like the more rational, like logical side of design that like made a lot of sense to me. Um, And I saw it as a huge opportunity for design to like solve big, hairy, like communication problems, which frankly, a lot of businesses have. So it was between, you know, and not just patting your patting Josh's back here, but um, really like (laughs) he he had a giant influence um, at my young, impressionable, font loving age. (laughs) And between him and um, Christian Anderson and, and Christopher Weiss, I'd say were the three biggest people like there in Indianapolis that really influenced kind of my worldview at that point. Um, that really kind of fascinated me. And so even though Josh wasn't offering up internships, I told him that I was interning with him. Um, <laughs> Which summer. seemed to work out just fine for you. <laughs> and, I, and I just sort of showed up and I was like, you don't have to pay me. I just want to... <laughs> <laughs> want to hang out and uh and then I ended up working for Christian for a year as well um and then I ended up at Exact Target who is a, a a friend of or a client of Christian's I actually worked on Exact Target's logo redesign while I was working at Christian Anderson and uh Exact Target is uh, was a, or was I guess it doesn't technically exist anymore a then local startup, really, mm-hmm. um, it eventually got bought by by Salesforce.com, but they were making email marketing software. Um, so I got a job there designing emails. I liked it because it was half design and half um, coding stuff and half like business analytics. It seemed to appeal to all the things that made sense in my brain. And it was there that I really fell in love with email design of all things, because for the first time in my life, I felt like as a designer, the things that I were designing, like the actual layout, the graphics had business value. When you're designing a logo or like laying out a brochure or something, you can't really say like, I impacted the business. It's, it's like a really difficult thing to measure. But I think it was my first, I think I did like an A-B test where I, they let me choose like the color and like the language on the button or something as a designer. And I saw that one of them actually did better and like got more money for the business. And that I was like, it was like a drug at that point. It was fascinating and intoxicating to me. It just made so much sense. Like everyone needs to use email design, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was that. Nice. And then how did that translate into working at Litmus? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. So we had uh, exact target. We had lots of big clients. Um, We acted like an agency for the customers that came in and needed, uh, we called it full service. So if you didn't want to design and code your own emails and manage your own lists, you could essentially outsource it to us and we would handle it all for you. And it was Best Buy. We had just signed the Best Buy account and we were looking for a way to automate. It was a huge volume of email that we had never really had to handle before. And so we're looking for a way to automate all that testing. Um, Because up until that point, we had like, I'd worked with IT to set up like virtual machines that we were testing all these emails on. And it was just a giant pain. And 
And so someone found litmus. I don't know. If, I don't remember who it was, if it was me or somebody else. Um, and we started using it. And then I started really bothering the founders there. I had all these questions for them. I thought that their pricing was too low. I was like buying $79 tracking codes from our email analytics platform and reselling them for like $2,000. And I was like, guys, you're not charging enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I must have caught Paul's attention at that point because um, probably about a year later, he asked me if I would ever think about working at Litmus. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't seriously consider it at the time, but after talking to him, uh, he'd basically made my, he basically like learned a lot about me and made my dream job. And you don't, you don't turn that kind of opportunity down. That's awesome. Um, shifting gears a little bit. So you've gone from, uh, you know, having this obsession with, with fonts and, uh, you know, as we've talked to a lot of the designers on this show, they're typically obsessed with many things. So I'm curious what you're maybe most obsessed with right now. So I uh, actually asked my husband this question in preparation because Josh sneakily sent me some of the questions he might ask me in advance. <laughs> and because um, your spouse's opinion is always going to be much different than your own, I think, or at least much more observant. So he said, Harney and Sons tea and Athleta shirts. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually interesting because I was going to give you some like, boring like business response because that's kind of what my where my head's at work-wise these days but as a designer I actually think that he's onto something with the Harney and Sons tea and the and the athletic shirts so the Harney and Sons tea I'm convinced it tastes better than the other teas but also it comes in this beautiful tin mm, and I get you like the the actual tea bags themselves like are much more like graceful. Like the, instead of being like the flat, boring tea bag, they have like they're, like airy and roomy and mm -hmm. just like the whole like tin and the experience of like making this tea is slightly nicer than like your standard, like brewing your standard cup of tea. So if I had to really dig into my psyche, that probably has something to do with it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a designer choice to buy the tea for the tea bag. Oh, yeah. Form factor. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those weird things. And same thing with Athleta. Like, I just, the tactile qualities. I miss print design for that exact reason. I could spend hours touching paper and, like, running my fingers over letterpress and, you know, even smelling, like, the fresh ink. Like, there's, there's something about that, like, foundation of my design career that I think I'll never really let go of. But um, so same I feel thing like with our team may have had a part to do in the... Oh, ruining yeah. you in that particular regard. Oh yeah. My favorite part of uh, working for you guys or, or any, you know, any of the places that I interned was like, those just stacks. You guys had shelves of print and paper samples <laughs> that would just like bathe in them. <laughs> maybe on the boring side, or maybe this, maybe this isn't boring, but on the business side, I, I think you've always been one to really pour yourself into your work. And I think, mm -hmm whether it was interning for us when there wasn't even an internship there, you just showed up and worked really hard. And, and that was awesome. And seeing you from a distance at exact target and obviously at litmus, I think you're having a big impact. I'm just some, I'm curious what your big focus is now. What's got your attention right now? Yeah. Um, so last fall, 
Litmus has been around for a long time. We just had our 10-year anniversary, and we've been profitable for all of those 10 years. I've only been a part of the last five, so I can't take too much credit. But we're different from most software or tech companies in that we didn't start off as being a, a, a VC or a seed-backed company. Um, only last fall did we receive our first round of funding, which was a fairly sizable one at, at $49 million dollars. And yeah, so, congratulations. yeah, thank you. And so lately, and I also got a promotion around that time. I, I went from the director of marketing to the VP of marketing here at Litmus. And so there's a lot of change that sort of happened last fall all at once. And so I think lately I've been, A, trying to figure out how to navigate that change myself, but then also lead my team through it. And so on the business side of like what I'm really poured into or what I'm obsessed with right now, I would say it's about culture and how you grow it and scale it. I think that a lot of what made has made Litmus so successful is our culture and staying true to what we believed was the right way to run a business, which is contrary to how a lot of people think a business should be run, I think. And so it's how do you how do you stay true to those roots with the introduction of investment partners and a lot of money and a lot of new attention and new goals um, and a lot more aggressive goals than maybe we've ever had before. And, and so it's navigating how do we, yeah, how do we scale all that? How do we grow it, but not forget who we were? Yeah, I think culture is um, is certainly one of the biggest challenges in, in things that need to be scaled. And it's it's tough enough when you add one or two people, you know, that can can wildly impact the culture of the right or wrong people and not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, every, every addition makes things a little bit different. So um, what are you, um, have you found any words of wisdom and, and how to scale that or anything that's, that's worked or things that I guess, what have you been thinking about in that regard? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about, frankly, my role is less of an individual contributor. And that's a really difficult transition to make. Josh, I'm sure you can certainly relate. You've gone through a similar thing where you went from like a two-man business to, you know, merging with another company yeah. um, and merging two cultures together. So uh, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this too. But I, I've had to really figure out it's not about me and what I contribute individually. It's not about me getting a thing done anymore. It's more about me ensuring that I've laid a strong foundation and continuing to keep people plodding along that path that we've set yeah. and knowing when you kind of put the bumper lanes in, like if you're thinking of a bowling alley, like when do you when do you blow those up and put them in and when do you take them away and let them throw a few gutter balls? Mm -hmm. I, I don't have kids, but I imagine it's it's a little bit like parenting. Like you've got to let like them stumble and fall and, and fail and like learn from their own mistakes, but don't let them make too many mistakes and, you know, like <laughs> mess it all up. Um, so yeah, it's been recognizing the people that have been there for a while and giving them what they need to succeed and really encouraging their career growth so that they can then demonstrate that culture to the other new people that we bring in. Because I think the key of scaling is that, you know, 
And I think any designer can attest to this. We are all kind of OCD control freaks. No, you got to, you got to give (laughs) it right. I know. Like you've got to give that up. Like I, that was like probably the hardest lesson I've learned. And my biggest, if I was going to tell you anything is to, you've got to stop being a control freak and recognize the people that you can trust to like carry that torch Um, so I actually told my content marketing manager, Lauren, recently, I said, you know, I'm passing this torch, like you're going to carry it now. It's, it's my job to figure out the next one to light. And that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible challenge. And I think getting yourself out of the way Mm. is, uh, is a really tough thing to try to figure out too. I mean, throughout um, many times in my career, I realized, oh, wait, I'm the bottleneck. I'm the thing that's slowing things down. Or uh-huh. if I want to be the designer and the guy who's running the business, it's tough to pull off both of those things at the same time. And the copywriter and the <laughs> right yeah. account manager and the yeah. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to check all the boxes and have things move smoothly. Just, you know, put the right people in place and trust them to do their job. Yeah, it's a lot easier said than done. Well, I feel like Litmus is a pretty amazing platform from which to, uh, you know, travel the country and speak at conferences. And what what has been your favorite part? I mean, I'm sure as director of marketing and now as VP of marketing, you're sort of wearing and overseeing a lot of those hats or at least kind of responsible for those pieces, whether it's content marketing or presenting or uh, webinars, you know, talk through some of your favorite things to do there. Oh, gosh. I, there's so many things. I mean, I wasn't joking when I said that that Paul and the founders of Litmus created my dream job for me. I'm I'm so incredibly grateful and fortunate that I really do get to do what I love and frankly, avoid the things that I don't most of the time. And speaking and traveling is certainly one of them. I think anyone that that travels for their job can attest it's, it can be intensely lonely at times. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, lonely dinners and flights by yourself and sitting in a cab and getting lost and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a bunch of things like that. But um, it's, it's getting on stage and I've, I've been told that my smile and my passion is infectious and and being told things like that like you can't fake that I guess is what I'm getting at and so to see that I can share something that that I a I found something that I'm passionate about that I found a company that was so willing to embrace my passion in its purest form and let me do what I'm best at and so the ability to share what you're really passionate about and see that you can really impact people, even when it's something is like maybe as weird and unsexy as email design. I mean, I think it's sexy, but um, sometimes I wish I was really passionate about like solving world hunger or something. And I felt like I was kind of making a difference, but you know, I ended up being passionate about this one weird thing and it's cool that I can, uh, I can actually see that I am impacting people. And so that, that happens when I speak at conferences, that happens with everything we touch at Litmus. It's 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 our content. It's the community that we've built. It's the conference that we run. Frankly, it's the software that we build. Um, yeah, sure, we want to make you know build a successful business and we want to we want to make money and be profitable. But it, I think underneath it all is driven by a a pure desire to just want to help people do this thing better. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I don't know if you can 
uh, fake passion or a smile. Maybe you can, but I'm sure you can't fake passion about email. <laughs> that might be hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's all the good things and I don't want you to get yourself in trouble here, but what are, what are some of the biggest challenges at working at a company like Litmus? I know we've talked about like, it's, it's not really a startup cause it's a 10 year old profitable company that just recently took, took cash. So it's, it's probably similar to startups in a lot of ways, and I'm sure it's very different in others, but what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you experience? Yeah, actually, we interviewed some really smart people for jobs at Litmus, and uh, one of our recent interviewees asked my entire team this question, which was actually really interesting to hear. And in my answer to that was actually that there are a lot of days where I have no idea what I am doing and I have to figure it out. <laughs> and so that's probably the most challenging is, is being faced with that and knowing that it's okay to fail. Yeah. Even with that in mind, it still is, it, it feels like I'm sometimes climbing a mountain that I will never reach the summit of. And so that's both exciting and that's both incredibly challenging and occasionally frustrating um, I, I think the best example was, uh, recently, you know, my, my boss, the COO of Litmus came to me and said, like, we're going to double down on our international expansion efforts. And I don't know the first thing about marketing to different cultures <laughs> and different languages. You know, I came into Litmus not knowing a thing about really marketing at all. Like I, I keep telling people I have a BFA. I went to art school. Like I haven't taken a math class since high school. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, and sometimes that really makes itself apparent with things like that, <laughs> but you know, it's, again, it's, it's the incredibly supportive nature of litmus where I can look at those kinds of things, acknowledge that I have no idea what I'm doing and then just set out and figure it out. Um, you know, litmus, we're in a really great position where we're very agnostic and we're friends with everyone in the industry. So, I can kind of reach out, I can put feelers out. And so with the international thing, I ended up talking to a bunch of people with experience in that and they were incredibly helpful. And, you know, you just have to pay that back um, eventually. So I yeah. think that's what it's all about and is in business, right? Is uh, giving and receiving of favors. <laughs> exactly. But I think designers are, um, I think well-trained designers are uniquely suited to be placed in positions where they have no idea what they're doing and thrive in that place because they love a fresh challenge and they love mm -hmm. looking at things and thinking through problems, you know, in that, uh, quote unquote design thinking methodology that you're, you're looking at each problem fresh. And, and I think there's something, there's gotta be something really gratifying about, having those opportunities to do things that you don't know how to do them. It's a very keen observation. Um, and I was uh, just talking to a friend of mine and someone that Josh knows too, um, Christina Huffman, who uh, is running creative services over in uh, the exact target Salesforce land these days. But we were just talking about that design thinking. It's, I don't realize it, but it is something that I am doing and that I am, it's, it's like a value of this team at Litmus is that way of thinking. It's that iterative thinking, researching, finding solutions, keep trying one until you find the right one mm -hmm. and sort of repeating the process all over again. Um, I think it just becomes such an intrinsic part of, 
the way I operate that I don't realize that it's design thinking anymore, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good thing. And shout out to Christina as well. So obviously, you know, we've talked about a couple of things that you're obsessed with already, but I'm curious specifically in the email space, like when I see bad kerning on a sign or when I see linen paper, heaven forbid, um, you know, these are the things that drive me crazy, but I'm curious what the things email designers see and what are the things mm-hmm. that jump out at you that drive you nuts? So I've trained my entire team at this point to recognize dumb quotes, <laughs> which is a funny thing because they're really difficult to type on a keyboard and especially in HTML, I have all of the the Unicode things memorized and I can, you know, ampersand R-S-Q-U-O semicolon. <laughs> like I can just bang them out like it's nobody's business. But so I can't unsee dumb quotes, which is unfortunate for my team. But I've, I think I've trained them at this point to recognize them and they know that I'll find them and take screenshots of them and post them in Slack and they know to go fix them. But so... Aside from that, um, which I, I see it all over the place, I see it on websites, I see it in, in emails, and then guys, you're putting tick marks all over everything. You're not those aren't apostrophes, like it just. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you feel my pain, but um, I feel your pain absolutely. <laughs> widows and orphans are the same way. In the digital world, you just can't control them, in in the same way that you can with print, and it's it kind of drives me insane. But um, I think the thing with bad email, it's, and this is where when I, when I speak at events, it's the hardest thing to try to describe Um, because describing design thinking to people that don't think that design has any sort of place in business other than making things look nice, as I'm sure many of you understand is sometimes a real uphill battle. So teaching people that, in order to market to them appropriately and successfully over email that you have to design an experience for that user. That's what I think about when I get email, I think about it's become known as the customer journey and Mm -hmm. and marketing land, um, which is a buzzword that I'm glad is gaining attention, but I hate it as a buzzword. And it's, it's that what sort of expectations have you set? What does this person know about your brand? How did they, you know, hear about you? Why are you emailing them? And then designing an experience that's tailored just for them, because the opportunity with email is that it's such an incredibly personal medium. Mm-hmm. You can leverage data and personalization and, and great graphics and some really cool things in email. It's hard to do right, but it's it's just that it's so when I think about email design, I don't think about the graphics and the layout. I, I do think about like the design thinking part behind it, which is the strategy and the how did I get to this point where this brand sent me this email yeah and so that's what really drives me nuts about like bad emails um i always rant about them in my presentations one of my favorite examples i think is um i get a lot of travel related emails and usually you get them while you're sitting at the airport because there's some sort of last minute alert and the ones that are completely unreadable on a smartphone just like guys you didn't think about this you didn't you didn't design this experience at all. Like if I'm, if you're emailing a traveler that's sitting at the airport, the email should be readable on a mobile phone. <laughs> oh, so like, it's that kind of thing that really drives me up the wall. <laughs> yeah, I can, um, I can definitely relate to those and you can, you can see the ones too that like, 
you know, a print designer probably designed because they've got a hard return in the headline because they wanted the headline to wrap and then you open it on your phone and there's this weird break in the headline because they didn't think about when it's smaller, it's still going to break in that spot because it returns there. We could, we could nerd out on these details all day, but perhaps that makes for um, less entertaining radio. I'm not sure. (laughs) Just the email design rant podcast. (laughs) Maybe that's a different show. Maybe we could could co-host that. (laughs) Cool. So tell me about as a marketer, and, and I'm using that, I realize that you maybe have a hard time even wearing that hat yourself sometimes, mm-hmm. but where do you go to find inspiration? Yeah, so there's some really talented designers on the team at Litmus, and we have a design channel in Slack that I am a bonafide lurker in, and they're often posting stuff in there. Um, just recently, speaking about, you know, a long time ago in the time that we don't speak about, one of uh, our designers posted it was a bunch of videos about uh, like printing presses and whatnot and he pings me on slack and he says hey you might want to check out the design channel i i found these old school videos and i was like hey (laughs) um so i get a, a lot of inspiration from those guys actually they 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 dig up the cool stuff that that i'm not paying as much attention to these days and reminding me about, you know, what's important in my roots. Um, so my team, the community is, is incredibly inspiring. The email design community for all of the insane constraints that get placed in front of them, you know, lack of standard support, you know, email programs that use word to render HTML and CSS, mm-hmm. 40 bazillion different places that people can open The fact that they just keep building creative things and making magic happen to connect personally with subscribers on behalf of their brands is probably one of the single most inspiring things. And what keeps me moving in this job, I think it could be really difficult if everyone just sort of threw in their hats and said, email is dead, I give up. It, that passion is cyclical. It's fueled by the passion of the community so that's that's incredibly inspiring, um, and, you know, and it culminates every year with with Ted C, our, our annual conference, which is just yeah, it's just so fun to see. But then on the marketing side, you know, there's there's growth hackers. There's a little company here in Boston called Drift that's doing some really cool things. Um, so on that side, the more like businessy marketing side, it's the really small, scrappy, like the true startups, the ones mm-hmm. that won't even really tell you what their product does yet because they're just building hype. Um, but they make a lot of noise and and they're fascinating to kind of watch and, and be inspired by because they're trying to get attention for themselves. And in doing so, they usually have some really radical ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are always really interesting to, to look at. And, and I draw a lot of inspiration from those as well. So I feel like you've accomplished a ton in a very short amount of time and a very young age. So what do you think is next for you? What do you think you'll be doing in, you know, 10 or 20 years from now? What's, what's the future look like for Justine Jordan? Oh gosh. You know, my, uh, my, I'm old enough at least now where I have a financial planner and she asks me that all the time. (laughs) And I'm always like, I don't know. Like what age do you want to retire? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I will admit that had you asked me when I was interning at Miles Design, if I ever thought that 
A, I'd be sitting in Boston or was, you know, a, a VP of marketing at a company, I probably would have laughed hysterically at you. <laughs> so I never imagined this for myself. And so that's why it's really difficult to imagine what, what the next 10 years might bring. You know, Olympus is in a really exciting place right now. Um, with that funding comes a lot of recruiters and, you know, knocking on your door and asking and, and I'm sticking around. I'm I'm not going anywhere. I want to see, you know, where this takes Litmus and I want to be a part of it um, and, and help continuing to build that and figure out that scaling problem. But after that, I think I might want to write a book. I feel like I've probably learned a lot on this journey and I need to take a step back and say, what did I learn? And then how could I teach that to other people? And then after that, I don't know. I think I'll always be passionate about this education side of things. And I have a lot of really harebrained ideas and Josh can probably relate to this. If you speak at enough events, there's all these strange things that pop up about like slide incompatibilities and is it in 16 by nine or is it four by three? And I want you to apply this theme and like someone should solve that problem. <laughs> that is a good idea. So I probably just gave away my startup idea, but um, I'm sure some of them, or even podcasting, you know, I, I've been on quite a few podcasts and a couple of my colleagues at Litmus run one, which you should check out, by the way, the email design podcast. Oh, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Cool. Um, and I see the challenges that they go through, like no one's really nailed podcasting software yet. So there's all these like silly, like little problems that are associated with content marketing and education. And so it might be interesting whether that's like a consulting thing or another software company, like, but who knows how that's going to change in 10 years too. So we'll see. Yeah, we sort of had a similar epiphany in the last couple of weeks about how related a lot of what we do is to education. Mm. Like even, I mean, I think anybody who's involved in content marketing really is in the customer education business. So it's absolutely. Um, and then as you, uh, at least I think as, as a responsible company sells, they're, they're educating their customer on, well, here's how this is going to work and here's how it's going to go. Here's what the process is going to be like. So yeah, you can definitely relate to that too. And, and definitely feel your pain on the slide and podcast thing. I think those are. <laughs> Those are potentially uh, some big startup ideas. Yeah. So we'll see. Because who knows what content marketing will look like in 10 years, too. Yeah. No kidding. We might be reading articles from the backs of our contact lenses or something. So. All right. I'm going to have to get contacts <laughs> just so I can read. What do you think is uh, some of the best advice that you've ever received? Or what is maybe your favorite piece of advice to pass along to young designers and young marketers? Oh my goodness. Now here's where I wish I had something that I remember you told me back in like the day <laughs> where you'd all come full circle. I, I actually, it brings me back to that project that we promised to tell people the story of. I, I think, uh, I think what you ended up probably telling me was just don't worry about it, but um, that's probably not very good advice in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. And for context, I, I was really overwhelmed. The, the project was to sketch Gosh, what was it, Josh? It was like sketch. It was the Gestalt principles. It was like yes. you had to sketch like ten different versions of proximity and like space and contrast. Like hundred or two hundred black and white drawings of design I just, principles. And I had done all this math, which is, I guess, 
a good illustration of where I ended up in my career. I did all this math where like, if I spent X amount of time on each one, then it was going to take me this amount of time to sketch all hundred or 120. And I presented Josh with this case of like, why this was a completely unrealistic expectation for an assignment. <laughs> and he was like, just don't worry about it. Get as much as you can get done, done. <laughs> and you know what? Everybody in that class lived through that project. I'm surprised that I did. I thought it was the end of my world, but um. <laughs> I mean, you all aged visibly after that project, but <laughs> a little gray hair never hurt anybody. Maybe that's some good advice, <laughs> but I think if we were to like translate that out, it's that the, the, the part of that, uh, I guess the lesson in that wasn't that it was getting all 120 done. It was going through the process. It was the journey. It was not the destination. And so I think, you know, with anything, I don't know that, you know, that wasn't the exact advice coming out of that. And I don't know how you would sum it up for somebody else. But I think that's the idea that I'm going after there is that it's this challenge thing, too. It's it's more about going through the process to get to that solution or a solution or exploring the solutions. It's it's more about the journey than it is the destination at the end. Cause then it's done and it's over and you've got to figure out where to start next. So I think take your time along, take your time along the way. So speaking of journeys, where can people go to learn more about litmus and where can they go to find more about you? Mm. Uh, at litmus, they can uh, learn more at litmus.com actually redoing our website. And so hopefully it'll be live by the time you hear this. Um, and for me personally, you can go grab me on Twitter. I'm Meladori, and that's M-E-L-A-D-O-R-R-I, which is a Smashing Pumpkin song, in case you're wondering. I get asked about that from time to time. Or JustineJ.com, my uh, website that could uh, use an update as well. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Justine, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and uh, let our audience enjoy some email nerdery today. That was very enlightening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being obsessed with design. Thank you for teaching me to be obsessed with design. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. All right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, kids. That's show number nine officially in the books. Thanks so much for joining us today for our chat with Justine Jordan. And head on over to ObsessedShow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to The Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend Cassie Joe for providing her song, Matchbox Girl, that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.